Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read verse 1 and 2 for the time being. Our text is found in verse number 2. Paul saying to Timothy, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also, I am not a supporter of para-church organizations. I realize that there are many of them that are good in a lot of ways, and usually a para-church organization is some organization designed with the intent, according to their statement of purpose, to come alongside the church and to help the church. And they usually emphasize some aspect of ministry that the churches in general have been neglecting. And that's why you think about organizations like Promise Keepers and different ones. And there's a lot of good things to be said about them. But I believe that the only institution Jesus Christ started, the only one that he ordained to carry out his work is the local New Testament church. And there's absolutely no doubt about that. And I believe that each and every church has within it the ability to do everything God expects it to do without the help of these other organizations. Now, all of that being said, several years ago, a man with the name of Dawson Trotman, probably many of you have never heard of Dawson, uh, and I have no doubt that Dawson was a good, dedicated, godly man. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He is the man who started the Navigators ministry. But he, he wrote an article, and I'm sure preached a sermon called Born to Reproduce. Born to Reproduce. And the whole thrust of that message has to do with verse number two here. And the title of my message tonight is Passing It On. Passing It On. Let me read verse 2 again. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Here is a fact. The future of every church is uncertain. But there's one thing that is certain. The future depends upon those who come after us. You know, we can do what we can, and regardless of how good a job we do, if the next generation that comes along that is a voting age or whatever, and they come along and they decide to take the church in a whole different direction, we're going to be dead and gone. There's not anything you can do about it then. But there's something we can do about it now, and that's what this message is all about, because Christ has given us our mission, He's given us the model for the mission, and He's given us the methods to employ 
in carrying out the mission that He's given to us. And so there's no uncertainty whatsoever about what we ought to do. He's also given to us exceeding great and precious promises that I mentioned this morning. But the fact is, we can't claim those promises unless we follow the plan. We can't just live any way we want to live, do anything we want to do, and then turn to some promise in the Bible and claim that promise. Those promises are conditioned upon us being obedient to the Lord. Now, this is a fact that Paul was very much aware of. And here in our text, we find a good example of what needs to be done because here we see his wise advice to Timothy. Remember, Timothy had been his helper. Timothy became the pastor at the church at Ephesus. But this is more than wise advice. This is actually his clear command to young Timothy. I want you to notice three things tonight about this business of passing it on. First of all, and this is where it always starts, and that is with the leader. Notice in verse number one, he says, Thou, therefore, my son. So he is speaking to Timothy. Timothy is the leader that is in question, and Paul is encouraging him to pass it on and to do what he must in order to continue the work of the Lord. Now remember, Timothy himself is a product of Paul's ministry. And Paul had set a good example for him. In fact, back in 1 Corinthians in chapter number 11 uh, and verse number 1, we see exactly that where he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be able to know that you're following Christ to the extent that you can say to someone else, come on, follow me. Follow me because I know I'm following Christ. I'll never forget years ago and uh, back when Bev and I was living in Cincinnati and uh, someone asked Pete Rose, said, Pete, uh, of all of the great ball players you've ever known, and, and suppose you're in the World Series and uh, you know, you've got bases loaded and there's two out in the bottom of the ninth and you're behind by one run or a tie game, whatever it is. Who, who, who would you want to be up at the plate? And Pete said, me. <laughs> me, because he says, you know, I know what I would do. I don't know what somebody else might do. And so, you know, we know whether we're following the Lord or not. Amen. And so Paul said, I want you to be a follower of me as I follow the Lord. Don't just follow me anywhere I go. Don't do, do anything I do. But follow me as I follow the Lord. And so Timothy is a product of his ministry. And, and, and he followed Paul. He helped Paul. He wasn't just following him in the sense of going with him to see what he was doing. But rather he was a helper in the ministry. And that's exactly what all of us ought to be doing. In fact, over in... First Peter in chapter number five in verse number two, it says, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly and not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being, notice, examples to the flock. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy to follow him as a result of the good example that he had set before him. I think it's a great thing that he could see potential in Timothy. 
Probably he saw potential in Timothy that Timothy himself did not know existed. And sometimes we forget about the great potential in one person. Because a lot of times, let's face it, a lot of times we allow their faults to blind us to their potential. And boy, you know, you look back and you think about... uh, Think about somebody back whenever they were kids and how they behaved then, and then you, uh, you you thought at the time, you thought, you know, that kid's never going to amount to anything. That kid's going to end up in prison before he's 16 years old. That kid will never be of any use to God whatsoever. And lo and behold, against all odds, that kid turns out to be a shining star, as it were, in the Lord's ministry. And that's what I'm saying. We just can't allow people's faults to block out the possibilities there because leaders, as somebody said, leaders are made, not born. It's not in your genes to become a leader. And it's something that happens as a result of people investing time in you. And so here we see Timothy being a pattern for our ministry. And and I don't think it's a bit unreasonable for me to take this out of its strict context. Because in the strict context, this has to do with Paul and with Timothy and those that Timothy are teaching But the fact of the matter is, whether you are a man, whether you are a woman, we are all leaders in some sense of the word, because all of us have a responsibility to live so as to be able to say to others, you follow me as I follow Christ. We have a responsibility to live in such a way that we leave a legacy, that we have been faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And leadership is needed in, in all areas, not, it's not just a matter of being, you know, the pastor of a church and being in a position of leadership. You know, if you're in a ministry in the church, you're in a position of leadership. Tim's, you know, he's the, the leader when it comes to our music ministry. And even though I'm the pastor and I could change things around, if, you know, if I wanted to, you know, I try to maintain a hands-off approach. But anything related to the music ministry, whether it's the choir, whether it's the sound room, whatever it is, whatever he says, he's the, he's the leader and it, it ought to be left there. The same thing's true of Zach in Awana. He's our, he's our Awana commander. And as a result of that, as being the leader over that organization, he's the person that is in a position of authority. The same thing's true when it comes to Sunday school. Whenever it comes to Sunday school, replacing teachers or whatever it might be, Bubba is our Sunday school superintendent, and uh, he makes those decisions unless it's a decision or something. You know, for some reason that I wouldn't approve, you know, I don't butt in and do otherwise. If I don't have a good reason to, you know, to, to veto the, the appointment, I, I stay out of it. Tim can tell you, I don't try to run the music ministry or anything like that. Uh, but we need leaders in all of those positions. We need leaders. Look, just because you're not the Awana commander, you might be Awana director. And so you've got those that are under you. You might not even be a director. You might be an Awana worker. You know, you're just, you're just helping the director as the director follows the leadership of the Awana commander. 
But the fact of the matter is, you have children under you, and you are to be a leader to those children, you see. So all of us are leaders in some sense of the word. And if the blind lead the blind, everybody falls in the ditch. And everybody's work, every ministry ultimately depends upon the successor. Everything. Our Sunday school, our Awana clubs, every ministry we have, ultimately, ultimately, look, and you know, Tim's, Tim's still young, but uh, if the Lord doesn't come, you know, there's going to come a time whenever he'll not have the, the zip and the energy that he has now because what happens? You, well, you get older, and when you get older, all of a sudden you can't do the things that you used to do. Eventually, eventually, Brother Kenneth and I, we're, you know, the Lord doesn't come. We're going to be dead and gone and in the grave, me sooner than him, I, I suspect. But somebody else is going to come on the scene. So eventually everything, look, that's true in every family, folks. You have one generation follows another generation. And you and I, in our generation, the Bible says David in his generation served the Lord. That's the only time we can in our generation. We can't go back and, you know, and do what we should have done then. We can't leap into the future and do what's going to need to be done a hundred years from now. The only time we have is right now and we need to recognize our responsibility. That's, that, this is what Paul's trying to get across to Timothy, that Timothy is a leader. Now notice the labor, the labor that he mentions, verse number two. Just two words for the time being. Notice he says, commit thou. That simply means to transmit something to another. It means literally to pass it on. Pass this on. And the point is that we are to invest our lives in the lives of others. Paul said in 2 Corinthians twelve fifteen, he said, and I will... Now, I want you to really listen to this verse now. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Let me stop there a minute. Isn't that something? I will spend, now notice, and then he says, and be spent for you. That is, I'm going to spend until I don't have any more to spend. My time, my energy, everything I've got, I'm going to spend Notice, and be spent uh, to the point of exhaustion. Notice, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Boy, I, I just can't get over what a wonderful statement that is. And to think about the difficulty of that, you know, whenever it comes to you know, to serving people and helping people that, that you know that love you and help you, yeah, that's really easy. But it's not so easy whenever you know they oppose you and they despise you. And Paul said, it seems like the more I love you, the less you love me. But that doesn't make any difference. He said, I'm going to spend and I'm going to be spent for you. So Paul's saying, I'm going to invest my life in you, whether you appreciate it or not, whether you follow me or not, I'm investing my life in you. And so a part of this transmiss, trans, transmitting, uh, passing it on, has to do with investing our lives in others. It has to do also with instructing others. 
And, uh, you know, we're, we're responsible to lead and to effectively lead people. We have to, we have to teach people. Every parent understands that. You know, you, you haven't effectively led your children if all you do is saying, look, I despise you. I wish I hadn't had you. Uh, you're just in my way and all kinds of trouble. But I'm willing to give you a place to sleep and food to eat and take care of you. I'll make sure you don't starve to death. Well, what kind of parenting is that? A good parent, a good parent is somebody that makes an investment in the child's life and teaches them so that they'll be able and prepared for their next stage of life, that they can go on and become self-sufficient, you see. And so this is exactly what Paul's talking about, passing it on. There ought to be a chain reaction, in other words. And the person who leads without, without leading, that is a person in a position of leadership that doesn't lead, is no leader at all because a leader has two characteristics, somebody said. He's going someplace and he's able to convince others to go with him. That's a leader. He's going somewhere. In other words, he's investing his life in something important and he's able to convince other people to do the same thing. And so we have to invest our life in them. We have to provide instruction for them. But there's more to it than that. We have to also inspire them. It's one thing, it's one thing to give people information and to instruct them. It's another thing to live in such a way so as to inspire them to action. You know, Paul could have said to Timothy, look, I'm starting a Bible college over, you know, in some little town and, uh, and uh, I'm inviting you to come and be one of my students, and uh, I'm going to provide lectures every day. I'll make you a Bible scholar and what have you. But there could have been such a cold, callous disconnect between the two, you know, that that he would have never convinced Timothy to become the great man that he was. You see what I'm saying? There has to be inspiration. A good part of parenting has to do with with by your manner of life inspiring your children the same thing's true of being good at anything by way of being a leader it's not just it's not just you know giving people information that's the difference between teaching and preaching by the way because in teaching you're just dispensing information whereas in preaching you're dispensing information but you're urging people to action you're seeking to inspire them to take what they learn and to put it into practice. And by the way, that's why it's so important that we understand when we talk about discipleship. A lot of people talk about it and don't have any idea what it really is. The word disciple means learner, but it means more than that. It means apprentice. The apprentice is someone that takes what they learn and they put it to use. In other words, they don't just learn and become a Bible scholar. They take what they learn and they become a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, he says to Timothy, commit thou. Now here, notice our attention is turned to the learners, to those that Paul and Timothy is ministering to. Notice to faithful men. Now notice the rest of it. To faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. 
In other words, I want you to commit what you've got, what you've learned, to faithful men so they can do what you've done. And, and do, do you get you get the picture here? So they'll turn around and do the same thing. In other words, you pass it on and they'll pass it on. And, and, and people will just keep passing it on from one generation to another generation. That's the only way a church can stay strong and thriving over, over many, many years is because one generation passes it on to the other generation. Notice, look across the page in chapter 1, verse number 5. And I want you to notice what Paul said about Timothy. He said, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Now get this, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded that in thee also. This is why I mentioned earlier that I, that I don't think I'm out of place whenever I take this out of its strict context because the making of a leader usually depends upon several people, men and women, by the way. Uh, it just dawned on me, as somebody mentioned this morning, and I didn't know this is Grandparents' Day. A lot of times, you know, we... Uh, we, uh, for whatever reason, we lose sight as to how valuable grandparents can be. And notice with Timothy, with Timothy, it started with Grandma. Grandma and his mother both. And that's why he, he says later on, he says that, that from the time that he was a child, he had known the Scriptures which was able to make him wise unto salvation. How did he know the Scriptures? Well, it was through Grandma and Mama. He learned the Scriptures, you see. Now, just as we're not obligated to cast our pearls before swine, we ought not to waste our time and our energy on people that refuse to cooperate. Notice the emphasis here on faithful men. He said, I want you to commit thou to faithful men. He didn't say just... You know, commit this to somebody that is careless in their manner of living or whatever, but to faithful men. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can waste our time working with people who are not willing. Let me tell you, if people are not willing to be stimulated by our actions, they're not going to be stirred by our arguments. It's like the old saying, a man persuaded against his will is of the same opinion still. Sometimes, you know, and it happens in churches all of the time where it's a pastor maybe, you know, you'll be in need of a new this or a new that. Somebody's got to lead a certain department or whatever. And uh, so they will, by arm twisting, convince somebody, you know, to, to do something. I, I try to avoid that. We need a Sunday school teacher, and I approached somebody about teaching a Sunday school class, and, you know, well, I don't know. I'm really busy right now. Well, forget it, you know. Forget it. I, I'm not going to beg you to do anything for the Lord in that sense, because, if, look, if you're not willing, there's no need in me wasting my time trying to convince you of the things that you ought to do. I have an obligation to instruct you, I have an obligation to try to inspire you, but I have no obligation to put you in a position that you really don't even want to be in. Now, we ought to be patient, we ought to be loving, we ought to be kind with everyone, even those that we 
might not see a lot of potential in because some people will really surprise you. So just because somebody's not willing to do something doesn't mean that you totally give up on them. It means that you invest your time and your energy working with people that are willing to to serve the Lord. And our focus ought to be, according to this, on those that are faithful. Commit this, pass this on to faithful men. Well, that raises the question. What are the qualities that you look for? And I don't know, I'm kind of convinced that maybe Timothy thought that too. What all's involved in being faithful? Uh, what kind of men should I expect them to be? If I'm going to you know, put this ministry in their hands, I'm going to commit this ministry to them, what kind of people am I looking for? Well, there are four or five things that I want to mention Notice in verse number 4 what he says. Verse 4, he says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So the first thing you look for, or one thing you look for, in a faithful person is that he's willing to separate himself from the world. It's like the old saying, you know, he who leads the band has to turn his back on the crowd. You can't be all things to all people. You know, some some pastors have got a craving to be, you know, the chaplain of this and the chaplain of that. I remember some years ago, somebody asked me they were looking for a chaplain at the Humble Police Department. I, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I, that's wonderful. God didn't call me to be the chaplain of the Humble Police Department. God, you know, I don't have time to do something like that. I, you know, thank God for those that do. That's not my job. I'm the pastor of a church. I, you know, it's kind of like years and years ago, I had preacher friends back whenever, boy, we were just living on, like my old buddy Eugene Blankenship said, you know, living on air pudding and rabbit tracks. And uh, we didn't have anything to get by on. And, uh, so I had some of my dear preacher friends say, look, I've got, I got the thing for you. You need to sell insurance on the side. Use all your connections with people and you can sell a lot of insurance and that'll support you, your income. Or, or another one said, no, no, make investments. Buy, buy some old houses, you know, and rent them out. And then whenever you're, whenever you get old enough to retire, well, you'll have a nest egg and what have you. And, I answered them all the same way. God didn't call me to do that. God called me to pastor a church. If I starve to death pastoring church, you know, it, it'll be God's fault. You know, that's the only thing I've got time for. Now notice, he says here, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. That's why I so often say that sinless things can become sinful. Things that in and of themselves are not sinful, there's nothing wrong with it, except for the fact that we let it get in the way of doing what God wants us to do. And if we're going to pass on the torch of leadership to somebody else, it has to be somebody that is separated from the world, that they'll not let these other things crowd out of their life what God would have them to do. Can, can, can you, you imagine back, back in those days, you know, they didn't have a standing army like we do now. It just, whenever an emergency came up, I mean, people had to drop what they were doing and go into battle and so forth. And so, 
Uh, that's what he's saying. Uh, no man that warth. If you're going to be active in the warfare, you can't say, oh, but, you know, I've already got my schedule made out for the week. You'll all have to go without me. Uh, but you don't understand. There's an army coming. They're invading our city. They're going to, they're, they're going to kill us. They're going to take our city. Well, I just don't have time for that. No, somebody that really cared would make time for that. And that's the point. If we're going to be a faithful servant of the Lord, man, woman, boy, or girl, whoever you are, you have got to be willing to separate yourself from the things that hinder you. Secondly, we have to be willing to submit to authority. You know, I've discovered over the years there's a lot of people that want to lead, but they're not willing to be led. They want, boy, they love the thought of being in a position of leadership. I remember years and years ago, we decided that we were going to select a new deacon or two or three. I can't remember exactly what the details of it was, but anyway, we decided, I announced it from the pulpit the next day, I got a visit or a call from a fella. Just happened to be the song leader in the church at that time. I had appointed him to that position in the church, and uh, and he was doing a good job. But he was highly offended that I hadn't chosen him to be a deacon in the church. He felt like, and he let me know, he felt like he was as qualified or more qualified than any of those other people that I had mentioned. And I reminded him, no. You're not qualified at all. He said, what do you mean? How do you know? I said, if you were qualified, you wouldn't be making a fuss out of not being appointed. And the fact that you're making a big issue out of this proves to me I made the right decision that you're not the man for the job. I had another guy come to me. He's a student at Baptist Bible College. And he said to me, and... Uh, he wanted to know what kind of a position if he would join, what kind of a position he could have in the church. He said, I'm a Bible college student. He said, all the students go out of all these local churches. And he said, Man, they all become, you know, youth pastors or this or that. They've got some kind of a title. They teach a Sunday school class. He said, you know, so I don't, I don't care what you want me to do. I'll be the assistant janitor or anything, but I want some kind of a title. <laughs> it really meant a lot to him to have a title. And I said, I'm not going to promise you anything. All I'm going to tell you is if God, if God puts you here, God will have something for you to do. And if you're waiting for me to give you some kind of a title for you to join the church, I suspect you're going to be going somewhere else. I mean, what is, you see, a lot of people, boy, they like to, they like that authority. They like to be able to tell people what to do. They want to be in charge of people. They love that, that idea. They want to lead, but they don't want to be led. They have no respect for authority. And whenever he says you commit this, you pass it on to faithful men. It has to be somebody that is respectful of authority. Thirdly, it has to be somebody that serves rather than wanting to be served. Jesus taught that as clear as anybody possibly could in Matthew chapter number 20 and verse number 16. He says, So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. 
And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock him and to scourge him and to crucify him the third day, and he shall rise again. Now, whenever, whenever you look at that and you think about why is the Lord... Why is the Lord revealing to them all of this depressing information? He, he, he just said the last is going to be first and the first is going to be last. I'm, in other words, everything's going to be turned upside down. And, and, and over and over again, he taught them that if they were going to follow him, they were going to have to go through difficulties. They were going to have to be willing to serve. That's what he, he said. You know, he came into this world... Not to be served, but what? To serve. Isn't that what he said? That was his purpose in life. To serve others. And that ought to be our purpose. Not to have somebody serving us, meeting our needs, but rather that God will use us to meet their needs. Number four. That faithful man, that faithful woman, whoever it is. Notice verse number three. They have to sacrifice. Back to our text, and this time verse number 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Brother Ray and several of our men here were in the army, the marines or whatever it is, some, some of the armed forces. And uh, some of them... Uh, were engaged in battle. And all of them would tell you that it's not a fun, easy thing to do. There's a price to pay. You know, separate yourself from your friends and your family and go to a country where you don't know anybody. You can't speak the language. You lay your life on the line. You can't eat mama's home cooking. You don't have any of the things that you enjoyed back home there. It, warfare involves sacrifice, and that's what he says, endure hardness. Remember, he's talking about Timothy now. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Boy, if we're just looking for a life of ease, you know, we're, we're looking for the way that's fun and easy, we're never going to amount to anything for the Lord because it's going to take effort, it's going to require sacrifice on our part, and one more thing, and I'll be through. Look at chapter 3 now and verse number 12. It requires suffering. Yea, and all that will live godly. Oh, that reduces the ranks, don't you think? All that will live godly, because mark it down, not everybody will. But all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall... That's emphatic. And in other words, it means it, that's the way it's going to be. I'm not saying they might suffer, but he says, notice, they shall suffer persecution. Now certainly we're protected with the laws of the land today. And thank God that you know we don't have to worry about physical violence uh, to the extent they did in that day. But that doesn't mean your co-worker won't hate your guts. It doesn't mean you won't be passed over for a promotion. It doesn't mean you won't suffer in some way. And to serve the Lord, there's a certain element of suffering 
you know, you're not going to win the man of the year award in your hometown if you're really busy serving the Lord. Because that doesn't impress most people. The fact that you're faithful to God, do you think the world cares about that? You can make all of these sacrifices for God and you can spend your life serving other people and you're not going to be rewarded for it here on this earth. Not by the world. They don't care. You know, they'll pay all of the high dollars to the entertainers and the athletes and all of those kind of people that make millions and millions of dollars and what have you. Take some poor missionary that's invested his life in serving God in some foreign country, risking his life, subjecting his family to terrible hardships and what have you. He doesn't even get a, a word of, 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 of appreciation or any applause from the world whatsoever. But I'll tell you, great is His reward in heaven. I want to challenge each and every one of you to think of yourself as a leader of some kind or another because somebody is watching you. I'll guarantee you, every adult here is being observed by children. They watch you. And what you do makes a big impression on them. You are helping to shape and to form their life. I want you to think about yourself as a leader, and I want to challenge you to invest your life in those other people. It doesn't have to be children. It had to pastor's pen this morning. It had to do with being a friendly church. And uh, there was more to it than that. We didn't have room to get it all on the page, and Bev had to cut some of it out. But, but back whenever... When I become a Christian, as I've often said, you know, every week after every service, we either went to somebody's house or somebody had us over, you know, to their house or we had them over to our house. It it wasn't a matter of just seeing people on Sunday and Wednesday night. Our lives were so intertwined, it's like I've often said, you couldn't backslide if you wanted to. I mean, you even thought about missing church, and man, it's, people are going to show up on your doorstep knowing, wanting to know where in the world you were yesterday, you know. Why are you missing? And, and that kind of interaction, that kind of friendship and fellowship, people investing their lives in other people makes all of the difference in the world. And I know, look, we live in a different world today. I understand that. We used to keep all of the missionaries in our home. Poor Bev, she had to, you know, she had to make their bed and clean up their mess and cook their meals. And we, you know, the kids had to make adjustments and missionaries coming over, you know, or somebody preaching a revival meeting and stupid me, I would volunteer. Hey, they can stay with me, you know. And so they'd come over and stay with us and, uh, well, Jeff pile all the kids over here in the bedroom, give them that bedroom and so forth. And uh, uh, so <laughs> consequently, there are certain sacrifices that people have to make to accommodate people like it. But let me tell you, it pays off in the long run. What you do has to be intentional. And, and that's why whenever, whenever, some, whenever the Lord sends someone... You know, we get whether it's a new member or somebody's just looking for a church, take them out somewhere. 
I mean, go introduce yourself. Say, hey, I'm so glad to have you. I've seen you here, you know, time and time again. Would you be interested in stopping, you know, at Denny's and getting a bite to eat? Or, well, I'm not hungry. How about a cup of coffee? You know, I'll buy you a cup of coffee or whatever. Get to know each other. And by the way, when I say that, it's not just about how friendly you are to the newcomers either. And some of you have known each other for years and years and years and years, and you haven't spent 30 seconds with one another outside of the church itself. And let me tell you, those of you that are younger here, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm saying. Those of you that are younger and you still have energy, back when I got saved, you know, I, I was young and had all kinds of energy in the you know, the, the, the people that we hung with, that, uh, we were all somewhat the, the same age, and, and you could do that, but believe me, the time's going to come where you, well, you can't hang around the church for an hour after the service is over any longer. Uh, make hay while the sun shines, Nelly. Yeah, you better do what you can while you can because the time's going to come that you're not, you're not going to be able to do things you used to do. Take advantage of that. You have youth, you have strength, you have energy. You know, use, use your life and invest your life in other people. And you say, yeah, but boy, that's going to take some sacrifice. Well, sure it is. But I'll tell you, it'll be worth it in the long run. Uh, we've been talking, the, some of the deacons and I and Brother Kenneth, we've been talking and about, you know, our, you look at our deacons and if you just look at that list and uh, what might surprise most of you is which one has been a deacon the longest. And you might look, well, so-and-so is our oldest deacon. Actually, Brother Jeff Maxey has been a deacon here in this church longer than any other deacon. Uh, I don't even know how many years now, but he was a young man back whenever the church uh, ordained him as a deacon, and he's remained a deacon over all of these years. But you look at that list, and they're all getting older. <laughs> Most of them getting older anyway. And uh, we've been talking. We're we're going we're going to we're going to need uh, in the near future. We're going to need to choose two or three new younger deacons. And uh, what I'm talking about tonight is the very thing that we're going to be doing. He says, "Commit to faithful men that they'll be able to teach others." In other words, that they'll be able to do the job. And uh, and so I mentioned that because I want you as a church to be praying that God will guide us and lead us in, in the people that we present to you. So well, who's it going to be? I don't even know yet. I'm thinking and I'm praying and uh, and I'll I'll talk to the deacons about it before I let any of you know. And then we'll take it from there and bring it to the church and what have you. But I want you to be praying about it, that God will lead us in this. The last thing we want to do is to put someone in that position that shouldn't be in that position. That'll do more harm than having five dead men serve as deacons. We don't need somebody that doesn't need to be there. And so we need your prayers as we go through that, that process. Pass it on. Pass it on. You know, whether it's the message of the gospel and you pass that on 
to others that have never heard or whether you pass on a legacy to others to where someone else will be encouraged to do what you've been doing as a faithful servant of the Lord. And, and when you go looking for someone, you know, you, you start looking for somebody that is faithful. Somebody that is faithful. And uh, spend your time working with them and training them and encouraging them and preparing them to take your place. Work yourself out of a job, you might say, by getting them ready to do what you can't do any longer. So I hope tonight, I know this is a, somewhat of an unusual message for a, for a Sunday night, but I, I've had it on my heart all week, and uh, I'm just convinced that's what God wanted. And if that's what God wanted, then that's what we need. And it, I hope it will challenge each and every one of us to be a faithful man or woman that we might be able to pass on to others the life that we've been living. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you, Lord, for those that, that invested their lives in ours. For those that were there to encourage us, for those that have instructed us, for those that have inspired us by their godly example. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be exactly that to others. Help us, Heavenly Father, to live in such a way that our young people will not just look upon us with admiration, but rather that they might strive to emulate the life that we're living. May they see that we love you and that we're faithful to you. And may they aspire to be faithful servants of the Lord. And Lord, tonight especially, we pray if there are those that are here that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, I just pray this might be the night that you'll bring together all of the sermons they've ever heard, all of the Sunday school lessons that they've ever listened to, all of the Bible verses they've ever read, that some way or another, as only you can, that you'll bring all of that together and use it like an arrow to pierce their heart to make them conscious of their need and to bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we pray in His name. Amen.